Hey, welcome. My name's Brett. I'm the pastor of Saints Church, and I'm so glad that you're here with us today. We're continuing our series, Who is God? We're looking at Psalm 68, 6. We're looking at the very nature of God. Uh, So grab your Bible, grab a pen, grab a notebook, or if you're listening in the car, just buckle up, drive safe. And if you're at the gym, come on, you got this. You're setting a personal best today. I know that you got this. This is the St. Church Glastonbury Podcast. Let's dive right in. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3. One day Moses was tending to the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the, the uh priest of Median, he led the flock into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. A fire that's not burning things up. We must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Now let's jump to the very back of the New Testament, to the book of James. We're going to the book of James at the back of the New Testament. We're going to tie these things together, then we're going to circle back around to the words of David. In James chapter 4, verse 8, James records this. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Did you notice that when God appeared to Moses, there was a burning bush, but Moses had to take a step closer? Did you notice that? That it says God saw him coming closer and then he shouted out. Now last week we, we, we came to understand that God has already made the first move. We think with this verse, God says, come close to me and I'll come close. And you're like, no, no, God, you make the first move. We understand that, listen, we already understand that God sent the first text and we have left him on red. We understand that. We understand that we have left God wait, waiting. The pattern of humanity through the eras and through the decades is that God comes close to us. He's made a move. He's been writing himself into our story, the story of humanity for generations. Even from this moment, he wrote himself into humanity when the bush started to burn and Moses saw that and he's like wow this is amazing and something in his heart says I need to get closer and he says here I am he says come close to God and God will come close to you the heart and the desire of God the father the nature of God is one of relationship with you and with me that's the nature of God We serve an all-powerful, all-consuming God, but his desire is that you and I would be close to him. He gives us some instruction. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. He says, this is the human condition right here, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. That's our human condition. Right now, as we sit in these seats, right now, as I stand on this stage, This is our human condition. Your loyalty is divided between God and the world. He's calling us closer. He says, would you just give me a little bit more of your heart? 
Would you give me a little bit more of who you are? Would you give me all those places that you want to give me? And would you give me the places that you're not so eager to give me? In Psalm 68, David is writing this psalm as a retrospective of sorts. He's writing this for the whole nation of Israel to consider their journey with God, to to highlight his faithfulness and his goodness. So he's writing this psalm as as like a memorial uh, to what God has done and how he's been faithful and how he's led it through. He he wrote a memorial. It's like, this is just so that you know that God will never leave you or forsake you. This is just so that you know that God will never abandon you. He's writing this so that you and I will know who God is, the nature of God. And it doesn't matter what we do as humans, whether we try and pull away or we try and and draw near to him. God is faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always there. He's closer than you think and his goodness and mercy are following you all the days of your life. So he wrote this as if to say, I need you to understand who God is. And when God is in your life and you've surrendered to him, I wanna show you what life can look like. This is Psalm 68. Verse 5. This is who God is. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. He is the one who cares for the most vulnerable. That is why we care for the most vulnerable. Father of the fatherless, protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. He's altogether separate. He's altogether other. He is high and he is separate and he is in heaven. But this is who he is and this is what he does. This is now how he does it in verse 6. Psalm 68, 6. I'm reading out of the ESV. Psalm 68, 6. It says, God settles the solitary in a home. From the first moment I heard this verse as a teenager, I have not ever been able to forget this verse. It has lodged itself so deep into my heart and soul that I I don't think there's anything that I could do to ever forget it. In another translation, it says, God places the lonely in families. God places the lonely in families. How do I know that he does that. How is he doing that? Look around. That's what he's doing right now. That's what this room is. It's his room. Because he's king, he's Lord, he's in charge. And his heart is to place the lonely into families. So if you would say, hey, I'm a little lonely and I need to find a family. Me too. Welcome to this family. This is the natural outworking of the heart of God. And we're not good, like we're not perfect at it. And if you're like, how do I really, really go there? Go to the Connection Center in the lobby. We say it all the time. God settles the solitary in a home. He Places the lonely in families. We'll continue on in 68 verse 6 of the ESV. He says, he leads out 
the prisoners to prosperity. Okay. But the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Today I want us to consider this verse. And there's some language in here that might be triggering to some, mainly the word prosperity. And you go, oh, here we go. He's wearing the suit jacket today, so he's talking about prosperity. I bought this at an outlet store for $30. It's okay. Relax. (laughs) But we're also not going to disregard what the text says because we've got some preconceived notions about how people have used and abused the Scripture. We're not going to disregard it. We're not going to avoid it. We're not going to say, ooh, awkward, it's strange. We shouldn't, no. We should talk about money. We should talk about finances. We should talk about our families. We should talk about our sexuality. We should talk about all these things. Why? Because God's word talks about it. So we don't just ignore it. We don't just leave it because it's uncomfortable for us. In fact, I am convinced that we would go further faster if we actually spent more time in the uncomfortable than we would in the comfortable. I think we have set the bar too low in the church. We've tried to make it really, really easy for as many people to come as possible. And the truth is, by lowering the bar, we have no bar at all. Now, don't don't mishear me. This is a place for anyone and everyone to discover the hope in life that's found in Jesus. What that means is I'm calling my Christian brothers and sisters to a higher level. I'm calling those of us who are already believers, who already believe this, to say, you know what? I'm not going to read it on the page. I'm going to live it in my life. Should go on mission trips more often. He leads the prisoners to prosperity. Well, this isn't a foreign concept because in John 10, it says, John 10, 10, it says the enemy comes to steal, to kill and destroy. It says, but I, meaning Jesus, have come that they might have life and have it abundantly, that they might have life and have it abundantly, that we would have life, life, life squared, life to the max, life on another level, that Zoe kind of life, that next level kind of life, that Jesus came that you and I would live in a whole new way on a whole new plane, in a whole new dimension with a whole new understanding that our outlook on life would be so different than those around us. They'd be like, how how do you see the world? I see the world through a lens of hope, wholeness, and restoration. I see a lens, uh, I see the world through a lens of Jesus. I see the lens through a lens of forgiveness. I see the world where he takes me as a prisoner who I once was a prisoner bound by my sin. He sets me free and I now live in a place of prosperity. Why are we quiet on that one? Let's define it so that we can get more comfortable with the text. Or should I say, so we can acclimate our heart and our viewpoint with the view of Scripture. Because we're still viewing the word through our own understanding. When we're talking about this idea of, of that he takes the prisoners, he leads the prisoners to prosperity, we're going to define it in four ways. Here's the first thing that he does. When I put my hope and my faith in Jesus, I become relationally rich. Okay? I become relationally rich. He places the lonely in families, the solitary in families. When I follow Jesus, I become relationally rich. He gives me a family and he gives me a seat at his table. So if I choose to not participate, that's on me. I have to lean in. 
Because he created a seat at the table. He said, listen, I've got a spot for you. I've got a place for you. I've got a family for you. If, if you want to live in isolation, then you're going to live in isolation. It actually, we are required to live in community as followers of Jesus. I become relationally rich. So because, because he has given me a seat at his table, here's the question for us. Who can I invite to my table because he has invited me to his? That's how we create family. Who can I invite to my table because he has invited me to his? We become relationally rich. We can give our hope and our life to Jesus. Second area, we become generous. Become generous. Become generous. He makes me generous because he's transforming me. I don't know about you, my default setting is cheap, not generous. Like I'm lavish on me. I'm just cheap on y'all. Too much truth in the room today? But because he's come into my life, he's changed the way that I view people. He's changed the way that I view others. He's changed the way that I view everybody else. He's changed the way that I view my resources because I understand that my provision doesn't come from my gifts, talents, and my abilities. My provision comes from heaven and he's asked me to be a good steward of that. And part of being a good steward of that is being obedient to that. And part of being obedient is about being a part of a family. And when I'm living in obedience and I live as a part of a family, and if I make sacrificial gestures, I know that if I'm living out of a place of obedience, that there will be provision for those things. So he begins to make me generous. He begins to transform me because he begins to speak to me about taking care of somebody else. He begins to speak to me about taking care of somebody else's needs. He begins to speak to me about going out for dinner with that person or meeting that person for lunch or going for coffee. I cannot tell you how many times in my life I have spent my last $5 on having coffee with somebody. Now that was clearly before inflation. Because now it's my last $17. Because it's not about me, it's about me being obedient to his voice. And when I was responsive in those ways, I can't tell you how many ways I have been surprised by his goodness back to me. So this is the, this is the point where you're going to look at me a little sideways. Because as he leads me out, as a former prisoner, into prosperity... Not only does he make me generous, but he causes generosity to come to me. You're like, oh, that's heresy. We got to go. It's actually the Bible. Galatians chapter 6 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, he will also reap. This is the scripture. So I don't give to get, I don't give to receive, I give out of obedience 
in every area, whether it's my tithe, whether it's my offering, whether it's the way that I take care of somebody, whether it's the way I buy somebody's groceries, it's the way that I show up for a friend, it's the way that I just show up in somebody's life financially. I live out of a place of obedience and I'm sowing a seed, but the the justice of God cannot be mocked. It will come back. I will reap a harvest. I can't control what that harvest is. I don't know what it's gonna look like and I certainly don't do it for that reason, but here's what I know. When I'm generous, generosity comes back to me. It's a scriptural principle. If more of us understood this, the more generous that we, we might become. Not because we're, we're trying to get something, but just because we're like, oh, like, so this is like a real Bible. Yeah. Part of the ways that God blesses you is when you bless others. Because you're blessed to be a blessing. And as you respond in obedience, in those ways, he blesses you for blessing other. Because he says in Proverbs 11, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So we're not getting weird, we're just getting Bible. We're just getting Bible. But these ideas or thoughts have been holding us back for a whole time. He's leading us into prosperity. Oh man, prosperity, that means more than enough. No, no, God is more than enough. I'm just called to be obedient with what he's put in my hands. Third thing, as he leads me as a, from a, as a prisoner to prosperity, because let's just get some context on that statement from a prisoner to prosperity. Romans 6, 17 says, once you were slaves to sin, once you were a, prison, a prisoner to sin, now you've been set free because of what Jesus has done for you. So this is what he's doing. He's transforming me from the inside out. He's making me relationally rich. He's transforming me to be generous. And then he's giving me freedom from sin says this in Romans 8, verse 2. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So what used to be something that was beyond your control is now something that is within your control. Oh, I'm the only one that had some issues coming in here on a Sunday. And you said, man, this thing, I'm never going to beat this thing. It owns me. It holds me. No. It's been broken in Jesus' name. You have authority over this thing, which now you you were helpless to it. Now you have a choice. Now I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not going to say it's going to be simple. I'm not saying that it's not going to take all the power in, in heaven to help you break through. I'm saying all of those things, yes, Jesus is going to help you overcome, but you now have a choice. There is freedom from sin when you follow Jesus. The chains are broken. A change are gone, I've been set free. I'm so glad that Jesus set me free. I'm so glad Jesus set me free. Come on, DeAndre. I'm so glad that Jesus set me free. Singing glory, hallelujah. Jesus set me free. Oh, we're saying, um, anyways, I don't know why you asked me to do that. When we give our whole hearts to Jesus, we find freedom from sin. Why is this important? Because sin, stick with me, sin is a contributing factor to worry and anxiety. Sin is a contributing factor to worry and anxiety. And those things, and those trigger points, and those behaviors, and those patterns that you have fallen into, that you have justified because it's just the way you are. Listen, you might have been born that way, but you are born again. 
So you are a new creation. Because you're a new creation, you are no longer bound to those things. Those no, things no longer have authority over you. Those thought, those thought processes, those voices, those things that speak to you, those patterns that you fall back into, you have authority over those things, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. We're just teaching the Bible today. So let's stop living as prisoners in chains that are helpless and start living, wow, I'm causing the camera guys all kinds of trouble today. And let's live free. Because the same power that conquered the grave, this is the Bible, the same power in Romans 8, the same power that conquered the grave now lives in me. So I don't have to live as a prisoner. I don't have to live in chains. I don't have to live in bondage. I can live free from those things. Now, you're going to need some help. You're going to need some Holy Ghost help. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. You're going to need the power of Jesus. He's going to break every one of those chains. It's going to take some effort on your, on your part. It's going to take some willpower on your part. And you might even find yourself in a season getting weary and well-doing. And when you find yourself being weary and well-doing, you will understand that that's when you're doing it on your strength, not his. And by the way, he's not afraid of your weakness because in the midst of your weakness, he is made strong and he makes you strong. The problem is most of us aren't willing to admit that we're weak. We think we got to work through it. I don't work through it. I surrender my way through it. Four things. Pastor DeAndre is trying so hard today. Okay. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Run it back yet. Fourth thing. From prisoner to prosperity. This is what he gives you. Probably the most important thing. His presence and his glory. His presence and his glory. Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, when his presence and when his glory shows up, which is the fullness of who he is, when the weight of his glory comes, when he meets us here in a place, in a moment like this, you get all of him. Like when I show up and I walk in, you get me, all of me. You get the good parts, you get the bad parts. When I show up, you just get me. The same thing is true of God. When he shows up, you just get God. You get all of God, all the time. When his glory shows up, the fullness of who he is, is present. And so what often we do as believers is we come and we come to a gathering like this and we, we come with a list of, of, of requests and we come with a request, a list of needs and we come with all these things that maybe we want from God and we're like, okay, God, this is what I'm here. I'm here to receive. And the truth is it's okay to come here to receive, but I'm gonna encourage you today to shift your vantage point, to shift your perspective, to shift the way that you understand the presence of God. Because when you show up here and you come and you worship him and then he shows up here, he shows up with all that you need every time because he shows up in the fullness of who he is. 
So it's okay to come with some expectation. It's okay to say, God, I'm believing for this. I'm believing for this and I'm ready to receive. But don't put your desire to receive above your heart for worship. I'll say it one more time. Don't put your desire to receive over your heart of worship. Because it's not about what you're looking for, it's about who you're looking for. Now in your notes, and if you didn't get the notes, scramble to get them from somebody. I put a link. And I'm gonna run through a list. It's a study link, so you can actually go and look at these words in the original text. Of the names of God. See, because we, we, we've got a disadvantage in English when we read scripture. We read passage and we go, God, God said. And we just, it just says God here. But that's not the way that it was understood in the original text. See, they would have all kinds of names in Hebrew for God. There's some places where he's called El Shaddai which means the almighty one, the all-sufficient one. There's some places where he's named as El Elyon, the most high God. There's other places where he's named Adonai, Lord and Master. Over 400 times he's described as Lord and Master. El Olam, the everlasting God. Elohim, God. Kana, jealous. Yahweh or Jehovah occurs over 6,519 times in the Old Testament. The chief meaning of Jehovah is derived from the word hava, meaning to be or to exist. It also suggests to become or specifically to become known. This denotes a God who reveals himself unceasingly. He doesn't ever stop revealing himself. Now, all throughout scripture, after that word Yahweh or Jehovah, which is really the same thing, it's interchangeable and a whole other subject for a whole other day, there's now other things that are listed after it. For example, Jehovah Nisi which means the Lord is my banner, he is my refuge. Jehovah Ra, the Lord, my shepherd. You know that one. That phrase, the Lord is my shepherd in Psalm 23, that's just the name of God. You think it's the first line, it's his name. It's his nature, it's who he is. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there or the Lord is here. Jehovah Sekinu, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Mekadishkem, the Lord who sanctifies you. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Saboeth, the Lord of hosts. I'm just scratching the surface and wetting your appetite to help you understand what is the nature of God that when you say his name, that when you whisper his name, that when you call out his name, you're not just saying God, you're speaking to God who in all his fullness shows up and he's present and he's your provider and he's your healer and he's your help and he's your refuge and he is all powerful and he is almighty and he is there and he is here and he sanctifies and he brings peace and he's the Lord of all heavenly hosts. He's all of the above, he's all of the above. He is all in all and he is more than enough. So we encounter the living God, but let us not be limited by our own knowledge of who he is, because he is our all in all. Now, as I would suggest this to you, that as he leads you into prosperity and joy, 
that he's actually drawing you into a contented place. See, that definition isn't what you think it is about prosperity. He's leading you into a contented place. Why? Because he's all that you need all the time. He is everything. He's your all in all. Now, at the end of that verse in Psalm 68, 6, it says, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. The rebellious, who's that? Anyone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. They live in a parched land. Other translations say they live in a sun-scorched land. Another one says that they live in a dry place. Oof. We contrast that. Those who follow Jesus are led. We once were prisoners and we now live in a contented place, a place of prosperity because we know he who is all in all. But for those of us who do not know Jesus, we find our, ourselves in a sun-scorched land, a parched place full of discontent, desperate for a drink. Because when you live without Jesus, you will never have enough because only he is enough. Wow. Thanks for listening. Once again, this is the St. Church Glastonbury podcast. My name is Brett. I'm the pastor of St. Church. We've got three locations in the Edmonton area. You can find all the information at saintschurch.ca. We'd love to have you join us in person, but thanks for listening today. We love you. And remember, the best is yet to come.